everybody to one of our special PickPod episodes in conjunction with the PCCS 2023 conference in Edinburgh. Today, we're taking the opportunity to interview Patrick and Harish in this reverse PickPod. Good evening, everybody. My name is Zoltan Jordi, and next to me, I have Peter Donnelly. We are two PQ consultants from Scotland, and we have the privilege to interview on the stage the founders of PickPod. This is a pediatric intensive care podcast now five years in the making. So let's celebrate that five-year anniversary together. After 70 episodes, PickPod can be really proud because with every episode, they could fill four rooms this size with their listeners. Why don't you introduce yourselves and share with the audience why we have invited you for this reverse podcast today? Thank you. I'm Patrick Davis. I'm a PICU consultant in Nottingham. And PickPod started when um, Harish dared to retire. And we were going to lose his knowledge, his wisdom, his insatiable um, reading. And um, he still says, uh, I'm having been retired for how long, Harish? For six years. Um, he's still, every Thursday, he reads the New England Journal cover to cover. And every Friday, he reads The Lancet cover to cover. Hands up, who does that? <laughs> right. Uh, I don't. But all this knowledge was going to go to waste. So I thought I need a way to sit down on a semi-frequent basis and just chat to Harish and get some knowledge out of him. And then I thought a good excuse was if we do a podcast because there wasn't anything out there. There was nothing. So I suggested it. We bought a couple of microphones and off we went. I'm Harish Veer. So as Patrick said, I've retired recently. I really curse him for this, these podcasts, because my original plan was to retire and start having saga cruises, play golf, and vegetate. And you've stopped me from doing that, Patrick. So here I am. One of the things that we, when we first started recording these podcasts, our purpose was to record what we were effectively doing in the coffee sessions after the ward round. You, you know, normally when you've done the ward round, you sit in the coffee room and discuss clinical cases. And what Patrick and I thought we would do is, instead of sitting in the coffee room and doing it, record them. And he's been a pretty tough taskmaster. And we've been doing it for five years, I think quite successfully. And the other one, Harish, who, um, who when we decide on a topic, he just says, I'll just ping you a few papers, and then my WhatsApp has 17 papers full of <laughs> things. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm the tough task master here. So I think, you know, you talked about you think you've done it successfully, and we would all agree with that. But the, the topic of the conference this year is Communicate to Connect. So I guess my question to you guys is, when you started on this journey, how were you going to decide that you were effectively connecting with the target audience? So... That's presuming we had a target audience. Okay. Now, when we started, when we published our first episode, and I was like, oh my goodness, you've had 40 listens. That's really good. And that is quite a lot, right? I mean, 40 people who um, listened to us just are just rabbiting on. We're now up to about a thousand listens per episode, and our latest numbers this morning were 47,265 in total, which for for a small community is is pretty good. But I think being effective, I mean, we don't, you know, we don't need people to listen, but it's great that people do listen. And we've had some really fascinating and really cool guests on our podcast who people want, um, who we want um, to talk to. And if other people want to listen to it, then fantastic. Then 
that's a win-win. I personally felt that having retired didn't keep on reading. I would vegetate. And that's a, a real problem that you get when you retire. You find you're away from the patients. You, you don't see many clinical conditions around. And for me, it, medicine has always been a passion. And I just felt that if I continue to read and share I, my ideas with Patrick and vice versa, we could do that. So it was primarily done for our own purposes. And then we suddenly realized, I mean, he, Patrick would send us, send me a, a text message saying 40 the first time, and then it was 200, and then something else. And I said, oh, people are starting to listen to us. And that's when we started to become a little bit more excited. And we felt that perhaps it was a time to sort of start inviting guest speakers. So in the past, we had done it ourselves. But then we started inviting experts in different areas. And that has become the most exciting thing about the whole project, really. Um, the first time we went past a thousand total listens, I was like, oh my goodness, a thousand, incredible. And then I then realized we were having downloads from amazing places, you know, from Liberia, from, from places where there's no way we could connect with these people at all, all around the world. So approximately, you know, about half our listens are in UK and, and US, and the other half are just spread all, all throughout the world, which is really mad to think that someone in Liberia is listening to us talking about some topic. And, you know, whenever you are doing this on a regular basis, how do you decide the topic that you want to broach? The person, the guest speaker, how, what way do you sort of address that? I think uh, initially we would pick a topic which was topical. I read something in the CCM or PCCM or the Blue Journal, and you said, find that this is a relevant subject for discussion. So what we would do is share references, we would go ahead and do some reading, and then and start recording really our ideas about what we, how we've interpreted those papers. But subsequently what happened was that COVID came. So at that time we realized that one, the face-to-face -face recording that we were doing was not feasible. So we started doing online recording and that became really fantastic because then we were able to contact people and get them to sort of get involved in our communications and our correspondence. And we found that that was the triggering factor which made us feel that we ought to sort of make it a little bit more relevant to the PICU world. I think that's when the numbers started creeping up because we found that we started inviting people, people who in the past you would have not dared to contact and people who were just the most amazing individuals. And we've had very few refusals. It's amazing how you could contact the most incredible people. So the person that's the story I normally give is Michael Osterholm. Michael Osterholm is President Biden's COVID advisor. We contacted him and he agreed. He said, okay, nine o'clock on a certain morning. And the guy said, fine. That would have been about four or five in, the, in US time. Anyway, the secretary then rang back and he said that he's already in a meeting. So he was in the meeting at four o'clock in the morning. He'd be, he's running a little late. So we said, we don't mind waiting, really. And then we had the most fantastic conversation with a guy who was really managing COVID problems in the US. So that was easy, you know, and he didn't know us from Adam, really. Um, he's been the, the US government's pandemic advisor for the last eight administrations and just said yes to us. I mean, it's, it's mad. Right? When I go to a conference, it gives me this incredible license to just 
walk up to people and say, will you talk to me for half an hour? And they say, yes, it's extraordinary. It's some kind of a superpower with a microphone. But I think what it tells us is that people are genuinely willing to help. I think what, when it comes to children's intensive care, I think most people are very happy to go out of their way to support us. So I think that was one, they're very generous with their time. And number two, they want to help propagate messages of health and health well-being. We've also received questions from your Twitter audience, and one of them was about content selection as well. So how much of a controversial topic are you prepared to take and uh, work out as a podcast? Pretty much we are, yeah, um, because if there's controversy, then we are thinking about this as well. And I think what we can do, because we know a bit of intensive care and we're talking to someone who knows probably more about that thing than we do. But then I can ask, we can ask the questions which everyone's thinking. So for instance, when I spoke to um, Heidi Flory, who's a US um, um, respiratory intensivist who's on the PARDS network and board and things, and I asked her just straight up, is, is ARDS a thing? And she sort of looked at me and said, well, I kind of think so. But then I said, you know, I mean, we call this x-ray appearance a condition. Now, is that fair? And then she went really deep into saying, well, there are two types and there's the inflammatory type and so on and so on. But, you know, our experience, the knowledge we have gives us license to ask difficult questions. And if a controversy is out there, we're going to ask them, you know. So I was spoke with David Inwald about some his pressure study and I asked him some pretty tough questions about does blood pressure matter or is it a flow and proxy measures and so on. And he was he was up to it, obviously he was. And he's up to it and he answered the questions and they're not, you know, because nothing was perfect. And the best interviewees, they acknowledge imperfections and give give a rational reason and the controversies are fine. I, I completely agree. I think, you know, the controversy implies uh, doubt. And I think what we try and do is to get some more information on the subject. Even the, the experts may have doubts about what they preach. So I think that, that's a very good state to be in. Do you ever worry that, you know, most of the podcasts is a strong evidence base through all of the conversations? But inevitably, some pieces of opinion come up and we live in a world where we're under a microscope and, you know, there's a lot more publicity given to podcasts. Do you ever worry that something that is said might be taken and misused or weaponized in court cases or trials in a way that you didn't anticipate? Peter, I don't think there is any certainty in this. Really, if you ask the finest, the cleverest guy around or gal around, you find that... Uh, there is never a certainty. So what we may do is present what is current evidence from the literature, current practice as we practice, and leave it at that. I, th I don't think it's the sort of situation where people could turn around and sort of say, well, this is this was heard on a certain podcast and as a result, the patient sort of didn't do particularly well. Because I think it's, medicine, is there is so much uncertainty about most, most things. For people um, who I worry about is uh, is you guys, right? Because it's actually quite when you're when you know you're talking about something and you're going to release that to your global peers, it's quite daunting because they might think you're a complete idiots who just 
I might think I'm completely bizarre what I'm saying and it's all strange on some quack. And that gives me much more stress than than the thought of some lawyer trawling through 70 episodes of a very uh, specific niche podcast. What we practice now, five years down the road, may change. So I think there is a need to have that doubt, need to sort of present the doubt, and people can then sort of make up their own minds. And it's primarily aimed for clinicians. And if you reflect on the process of content creation, I think we by by now in 2023 and all our audience knows all the benefits of listening to a podcast but can you share with us what is the benefit of creating a podcast so the benefit of of creating is i get some tap into this guy right which is which is valuable to me it forces me to do some some reading in depth of some topics i get to talk to um, to loads of other people i get to spend loads of money on websites I get to um, get to edit podcasts deep into the night. Great. Can't wait for your, your answer, Harish. No, <laughs> well, I, only thing I can say is that uh, for me, having retired, this has been a, quite a major salvation. I found that it's kept my brain ticking away. It's made me sort of continue my interest in medicine. And as far as uh, going back to the, the question about doubt, often sort of you find that, you know, reviewing a particular doubtful question makes me sort of go deeper and deeper into the subject. So this is when I start sending lots of references to Patrick at three in the morning. Um, the editing, which mentioned, so so each podcast, it takes me about twice the podcast length to to edit. But then it's, and it's uploading and cleaning and, and publishing. So the, the time cost is reasonably big. Anybody who wants to take it on board will have to sort of think in terms of, I think it's, can be done, one, but you you have to sort of think in terms of making sure you have time on your hand and you've got the obsession of making sure that you read, read and read and you then have somebody around who you can bounce off ideas with because it works very nicely with us because we work very nicely together. But if you don't have that relationship, then you find that embarking on a podcast may be difficult. But we see at the end a very sleek product like we listen to the podcasts they're nice and relaxed they're informative but that's because it's been edited and you've spent a lot of time doing a lot of work so has there been any real car crash podcasts things that have gone wrong that we just don't know about the biggest car crash crash was akash so we did a, we did a podcast which was based around adult itu patients on pitu and he had a patient who was 70 something and we did one interviewing the patient and his partner. And we could hear him, but for some reason on the on the Zoom, we had Akash and his AITU colleague in Kings and then had the patient at home. And we could hear him, but he couldn't hear us. So I would ask a question, then Akash would hear it through his Zoom link. Then he was on the phone to the partner's wife. He would repeat the question to the patient's partner. She would then ask him... And he would answer, and I'd hear it back through the Zoom. And if you listen to it, you know nothing about all of this because I edited each bit out so that I asked a question and the patient answered. That took me hours, and it sounds really good. I'm quite proud of that, of that work, actually. So. No, it sounded, I mean, you wouldn't know that there were all these intermediaries around communicating. So you might not want to do that one again. People like Kathy, um, who podcasted just published the other day, she was amazing. 
and normally I added that 1.4 times speed just for ease of of use and I could just let it run and run and run it was fantastic the other advantage of having the ability to ring up people or email people and talk to them is that we've been able to do this for areas of the world where intensive care services are sometimes very primitive sometimes very sort of poor and so during the COVID time we were able to talk to people internationally and you got a certain idea of how things were going so we talked to people in Namibia, to Liberia, the West Indies. But Brazil. And Brazil. Oh, yeah. That was but India. heartbreaking. And India. But you suddenly realize that I think we were all complaining about X, Y, and Z when the rest of the world, there were people who were just genuinely suffering badly. The Brazilian story was interesting because they were talking about post-PIC. I think we'd had about 29 deaths, COVID, PICU admission. Their numbers were in their hundreds. And... Part of the problem was that there was a political decision that was made about providing healthcare in Brazil. And you could see that the two clinicians who talked to us were really incredibly brave because at that time with the previous government, things were sort of pretty dicey. So we felt very privileged to be talking to people who were genuinely heroes as far as I was concerned. So before this interview, you very kindly sent an email to us with a summary of all the podcast in the in the past and when i read through it it really felt like the big pot textbook of pediatric intensive care and the chapter titles but i wonder after such a comprehensive 70 episodes so what does the future look like what kind of directions do you see in the future for the big pot we just shook hands didn't we a few uh, minutes ago i'm harish i'm his i'm he's on a mission now he said um, how many 10 in the next three months he said something i like think that. so it's easy yeah. easy it's easy easy yeah. pieces you don't have to edit them <laughs> We can listen to speed of 1.4 times. I think yeah. there, there are an awful lot of subjects that we haven't dealt with. We've just literally sort of hit very few subjects. 70 is not enough. So I think we can sort of now start thinking in terms of expanding. We've covered a bit of neurology, a bit of cardiac, a bit of respiratory. But there are so many other subjects that need to be covered. So I think there are, we could probably go on indefinitely, really. And things are evolving. So Every time there is a new trial coming out or whatever it is, we can always invite those people to come and get involved. But ask us as well, is it something which we should be covering, which we're not, then just just ask us. Who would your dream guest be? If you could invite anybody into the next podcast, who are you going to ask? I'm thinking about it. The person I, I thought would be very, very good, you know, having listened to David earlier on, you know, the way they they have the system of, the flight path and everything else. The person who introduced the checklist was a guy called Atul Gawande. He also, by the way, is in the COVID committee in the US with Michael Osterholm. But I think he would be very good because he's got a very broad spectrum interest in medicine. He's also involved in care of towards the end of life. He's interested in sort of optimizing clinical services on the role of computers and clinical care. So I think that would be a very nice and given us an idea, we may contact him. We might contact on the theme of, you know, COVID prevention measures. Donald Trump would be quite nice. I think that'd be <laughs> from a time point of view, we're pretty short. So I wondered could we nice finish, link. Nice link. Like could we finish with you guys maybe giving us a final thought or reflection on what it's like being on the other side of a podcast? Harris has been super nervous all day, honestly. I- what will they ask us? But I say, well, this is what we do to people every, every time. No, I, I was nervous because normally I'm, I'm quite happy to talk about whatever it is. 
this was there's a sense of uncertainty in terms of I thought you know Peter and Zoltan are going to sort of uh, torment me and ask me questions that I didn't know answers to but I think this has been fantastic really very good I think it's nice to sort of see people who listen to our podcast around and genuinely honestly you were sitting there Patrick and I we shook hands and said, oh, set another 10 in the next three months. We, it, no, it energizes. This is the purpose of this sort of thing is it energizes you. But to um, have people put their hands up in the audience and say thank you means such a lot. Right? It does. Because, you know, we do this, as I said, mainly for us, for me, but that it actually has an impact, I think is amazing. And it makes me I feel all warm and fuzzy. So uh, thank you guys. Harish, Patrick, thank you very much for this interview. And as a gift, we've recorded this. We will edit it and hand it over to you as a reverse podcast so you can publish it on, on PicPod. It's your fault. <laughs>